This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is uh, Jason Chaffetz, actually, uh, filling in for Brian. Brian's uh, got a tanning day today, so we uh, we obviously excuse him for that. Uh, no, we Brian's like the hardest-working guy in all of television and radio. The, you know, the hours he puts in Fox and Friends, then on the radio. And so uh, he's also doing all these uh, specials and, and recording all these things for Fox Nation. So anyway, I'm uh, honored and privileged to fill in for Brian. Love doing so. Um, and uh, we've got a lot going on in the news. So we want to talk about a whole variety of things, but we're going to kick things right off by bringing in one of my former colleagues, somebody I got the uh, had the honor and privilege of serving with in the United States Congress. He's a Fox News contributor now, uh, former congressman from Wisconsin. Sean Duffy's on the line with us. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us. Jason Chaffetz, great to be with you. You are my favorite former member of Congress. Always fun, always smart, and Having me on as you kick off the Brian Kilmeade show, who you had me laughing at myself. Yes, Brian's tanning. Brian's tanning this morning. I don't think Brian takes any time for anything. He just works. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's the hardest working guy at Fox. He's, oh. He never stops. You walk through the office and he's like, he's everywhere. Like they're all day long. He gets like, like what, like four in the morning and leaves at like six o'clock at night. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think he has some 31 hours of programming that he does. And what's amazing is when you do a show, you guest host a lot. A lot of what happens is the preparation, right? All the prep that it takes in order to actually get to go to do to the show. So it, it is amazing. But, hey, I want to get right after and talk about what the Democrats did. Um, I'm going to go to cut one here in just a moment. But, um, you know, Democrats patting themselves on the back and actually accomplishing something a lot of people didn't think was going to happen, which is, cajoling and twisting and and convincing Joe Manchin to actually go do the Green New Deal. Um, and, uh, and then he did it. And I, I can't believe it. Chuck Schumer, listen to this clip, uh, obviously thinks that what he did was quite amazing. Cut one. I am confident the Inflation Reduction Act will endure as one of the defining legislative feats of the 21st century. Our bill reduces inflation, lowers costs, creates millions of good-paying jobs, and is the boldest climate package in U.S. history. This bill will kickstart the era of affordable clean energy in America. It's a game-changer. It's a turning point, And it's been a long time in coming. Nothing like patting yourself on the back there uh, as they pass the, pass the bill. This is going to be solve all of our problems, Sean. Well, you know, there's, there's so much there. First of all, I mean, the fact that Democrats can just flat out lie to the American people that this is an inflation reduction act. No, when you raise taxes by $700 billion and then you transfer that into the, a, a green new energy plan, this is not going to um, 
uh, lower inflation. This is going to raise inflation. We're going. To, this is this is an, an inflationary bill at a time that we already have too much inflation. But then to say that things are going to get better for the American people, you know this well. We've looked around the world. Everyone who and Tucker does a great job covering this. Everybody who does this radical green agenda ends up poorer. They have less and more expensive energy, more expensive food. Life becomes unaffordable. Look at what's happening in Europe. Uh, you know, the, the, the Germans relying on the Russians for gas because they did this radical, you know, mothball your, your, uh, your power plants, whether it's coal, natural gas, um, your, your nuclear, and rely on Russian uh, natural gas. You look at Sri Lanka, they had a revolution there because they did this green new energy um, uh, uh, proposal, and people were starving. That's what's gonna. That's what's in store for us in our future, if we don't go after our our great, you know, uh, black gold, which is oil. We have it under our feet. It's ours, and you know this so well. We outsource our energy to China. They make the windmills. They make the solar panels. They make the batteries. They make almost everything um, in, in green energy. And for us. You know, right now, if, if, we, if we continue on our own course, we have our own oil. We have our own energy. We're not relying on anybody to power our cars, heat our homes. Um, and, and I don't understand why Democrats want to have less American freedom and autonomy and have more of uh, America relying on China. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, our, our future is fueled by who can, who can uh, produce the energy to drive an economy and have a quality of life. And to your point, Sean, uh, last night I was able to guest host uh, for The Next Revolution for Steve Hilton. And we had the uh, former National Security Advisor, Ambassador Robert O'Brien, on the show. And it talked about how um, suddenly, you know, all these rare earth minerals, they're over in China. Because even when we have rare earth minerals, which we need for the production of say batteries and other kinds of green energy we totally rely on china go to cut 21 please even if it's mined somewhere else if it's mined in mongolia or mined in australia or even mined here in california those rare earths get sent to china to be processed uh so china has a stranglehold on us so just like the just like with the chips act where we decided we've got to bring chips or a strategic asset and we've got to bring computer chips back to america manufacturing back to america we got to do the same thing with rare earths we saw how that worked out at the beginning of covid when China controlled all the PPE, we can't allow China to control our rare earths, especially if we're entering into a conflict potentially with Taiwan. Your comment about that, Sean? Yeah, you know, I, I think that that's spot on. And by the way, you're almost like Brian Kilmeade. You're everywhere yourself, uh, Jason. <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing TV at night and you're doing radio in the morning. But that's, that, 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 is, that is spot on. China has been very thoughtful in how they bought up all of the different aspects of a supply chain, um, including rare earth minerals. And, you know, even if we're allowed to mine those minerals here, um, China's bought them. And then around the world, they've, they've, they've bought those minerals. And, and, and so we are more reliant on them. Can I make another point? You mentioned the CHIPS Act. It's, it's, it's rare that Mitch McConnell is outmaneuvered. He's a, he's a smart guy. I, he's not as conservative as, as I am. You know, he frustrates me as, as the leader of the Senate. But the fact that he got Republicans to join and pass the CHIPS Act, and you know, moments after it passes, then Democrats announced they have this deal with uh, with Manchin. And he was completely played. And I mean, you think about in a matter of a year and a half time, Democrats spent 1.9 trillion dollars on this COVID relief package when COVID was already winding down. All the money from the Trump era 
hadn't even been spent. There was a ton of money left from from COVID packages in the Trump era, but Democrats spent another $1.9 trillion. Then Republicans joined them, and they spent $1.2 trillion on infrastructure, which only a small part was infrastructure. Then this CHIPS Act, I mean, we start talking about billions and trillions, we, we kind of lose sight of how much money that is. Right. But the CHIPS Act, the CHIPS part of the CHIPS Act was 50, what, $52 billion? And they just porked this bill up to, to $250 billion that they passed. And now this is another you know, $400 billion plus, you know, spending bill. This is insanity. And the fact that we don't think there's going to be an impact on the dollar, the fact that, you know, you're not going to see a, a, re, a reduced value of the dollar, which means you're going to have inflation. The money that you have, the money that you've earned um, is going to be less valuable as we completely wreck the dollar is is um, it's shameful. And usually, you know, when you and I ran for Congress, we want to make people's lives better. We want to do things that made the economy stronger, people make more money, people have more disposable income. The things that Democrats are doing are the exact opposite. And I don't understand that that's not why people go into politics. They're going to do the right things. And, you know, if you and I were going to pass legislation or have ideas that didn't actually work, that actually hurt people, didn't make their lives better, we might at some point go, hey, we thought this was going to work, but it's not. It's making people's lives worse. We might change course. Not Democrats. I mean, I mean, sky high inflation. Um, uh, uh, we're in a recession. They don't give a darn. They just keep right on going. More of the same because they don't just care keep... about the people. They care about this ideology, these ideas, this this uh, this green agenda. And it's, it's too bad. No, they do. They keep spending, and 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 the, the, the numbers are just so out of control. You know, one thing they they don't even give a glancing acknowledgement to is the fact that our, our base budget, when you include the discretionary and non-discretionary, is already $6 trillion. So, you know, you're spending, um, if you spend a million dollars a day every day, it would take you nearly 3,000 years to get to $1 trillion. That's how much money that is. And so they act as if there's the shelves are bare and there's nothing else going out the door. And the discussion, Sean, that I never heard while I was in Congress, and I doubt you heard when you're in Congress, is, hey, we got a tough decision to make, you know, and we really want to do this because we think it'd be good for the country. So let's stop doing this over here. Like, there's never a discussion about priorities. It's just spending more, never actually reducing any other account. It's like in our own budgets. If you want, if you want to spend money in one other place, you might reduce spending in a different place in your family budget, so we can make okay. our, our our budgets balance. Not Democrats. You're right, Jason. They just go, well, we're going to keep spending this massive amount of money in in uh, in mandatory and discretionary spending. And by the way, mandatory spending that that money goes out the door regardless of what Congress does. The discretionary spending is what Congress budgets for and appropriates, right? Yeah. Um, and we do have control over that. Uh, by the way, we could the Congress could change its rules and have control over both of them, but they haven't. You and I tried to do that uh, before we both left Congress, and, and uh, a lot of Republicans wouldn't go for that. But, but you're right. It's just it's more of the same. And, and to think that a $30 trillion debt, how much money that is, with $30 trillion in debt, there's no way – that you're going to be able to tax and pay your way out of $30 trillion in debt. And so what, what the government's going to have to do is they're going to devalue the dollar. They're going to print money um, to, to, to pay this debt. And at one point, uh, what that means is even if you think, it, you know, 8 9% inflation is bad, wait until that happens. 
um, we're going to see, you know, sky high inflation. You think back to, to old Germany after World War One with wheelbarrows of, of money to go buy a loaf of bread. That's the same thing we're going to have here. I don't know. I don't know how we have any other path forward in our future, but for monetizing our debt. And it's it's going to be horrible. We havoc on 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 the economy and on families. And again, Democrats care more about this green agenda. And by the way, everything green is red. This is about control. This is about making sure they have control over our lives. They can't let you have a, a gas-powered engine that's that's reliant on. You know, West Texas crude with gas stations and refineries that have Democrats no no control over. They need to have control over us, and they will have that control if it's all green. Yeah. One last thing I want you to talk about here with this bill before we uh, cut you loose here is uh, the tax provisions. Because, you know, I thought the Democrats promised that nobody was going to get a tax increase if they, you know, made less than $400,000 a year. But this is going to have an effect on every single American. Don't don't deny it. Don't tell us that it doesn't. These tax provisions are going to hurt all of us. You know, when I ran for Congress, uh, you always think that the IRS isn't partisan. We saw that under the Obama era that the, that the IRS is partisan. When I ran for Congress, miraculously, I, I got an audit. I made no money. I was a prosecutor in northern Wisconsin. Rachel, my wife, made a little bit of money on the side, and they audited me. That was a gift that I got, I think, from my uh, the, the Democrat in, in incumbent, but you know what? You're right. We're gonna we're gonna have higher. We're gonna we're, we're going to have you know tax increases that are gonna raise taxes on everybody. But I'm, what got me the most about what the what the, what Mansion did and Cinema did, they were gonna uh, get rid of the carried interest loophole. That loophole is when if you have money managers or hedge funds that make money on the investments that they make with other people's money, when they get paid for those investments. They uh, they don't pay income tax. They pay capital gains tax. So instead of paying at a top rate, you know, of 38 percent, they're paying down at 20 percent. We should have got rid of that. That's a, that's a loophole for Wall Street. Democrats were going to do that. They didn't take it away. Instead, um, they raised taxes elsewhere. Um, and so, again, you, you see this transition happening in America where Democrats are uh, the party of big business, elite rich people, um, corporate America. And Republicans with the with the Trump transition, it's a, we're a blue collar party. We're looking out for the average men and women of America, the middle class Americans, the people who work and make things in America. We're the ones that focus on them, and those are the, those are the very people that Democrats want to tax more, which is what they're going to do in this bill. Yeah, you know, to put this corporate minimum tax of of fifteen percent in place. Guess what? Those same companies are the ones that probably most people have in their four hundred one ks and in the retirement and their savings and, and don't pretend for a moment that, Oh, just a bunch of rich billionaires are going to pay that. No, these corporations, they pass those, they pass those expenses on by either cutting costs, cutting labor, or guess what? Charging more for their products in order to cover that cost. And and that affects you know, all of us. That affects all of us. Oh, I'm sorry. Just, and this, that, that is the, the, the stock buyback provision. They're going to tax companies that buy their stocks back. Yeah, and there's that and in there's, there there's, as well. There's one point that when when a, when a company's stock gets cheap and the company understands that they have a bright future, they may actually buy their stock back. And when they buy their stock back, what happens is the stock price goes up, and the people who own it, which is all of America, to your point, this is you know m- you know moms and dads who have you know small 401ks many times own those stocks that the company is doing a stock buyback on. They make more money because the price goes up. 
And Democrats say, we can't have that. Yeah, I know. We don't want you to buy your stock back. We don't want you Listen. to have the freedom to buy your stock back. We need to tax that. Like, yeah. <laughs> why, why, why is the stock buyback so bad? It I increases know. the value of the shares, and people make more money because they hold it in their 401k. That's a good thing. Let's I not know. tax that. Exactly. I know you have to let me go, but one last point. Democrats in the, in the CHIPS bill – they lower taxes, Jason, so they could get more investment in chip manufacturers in America. So Democrats understand lower taxes incentivizes more growth, and they did that specifically for chip manufacturers. Right yeah. after that, they said what we're going to do is we're going to tax corporate America. Well, if you reduce taxes and get more growth in chips, but then you increase taxes on everybody else, you're going to get less growth, less less business investment, which means less jobs, less revenue. But it's how they made their numbers the work. Coffers. It's how they made their numbers work. Sean Duffy, Fox News contributor, a former member of Congress from Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I want to take a moment to say a few words about the so-called Inflation Reduction Act that we are debating uh, this evening. And I say so-called, by the way, because according to the CBO and other economic organizations that have studied this bill, it will in fact have a minimal impact on inflation. That's uh, Senator Bernie Sanders actually telling the truth there because he's right. The Congressional Budget Office, uh, others, uh, don't don't think that through this facade of a, a uh, reduction in inflation and that's what this bill will do. That's, that's not what the bill is going to do. That was the spin that the pollsters told them they needed to have in place in order to get a bill passed. But you don't go spend hundreds of billions of dollars more on top of the $1.9 trillion, on top of the infrastructure bill, on top of the chips bill. You don't put do all that if you want to reduce inflation because that's too much money chasing too few goods. Uh, that's not what you do. And you don't raise taxes. Even Barack Obama and others are saying, hey, look, in recessionary times, you don't go and raise taxes. But this bill fundamentally raised taxes put an army of IRS agents after you, and guess what? 
that doesn't reduce inflation. That's never what the bill did. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Actually, it's Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Very appropriate. We're playing a little kid rock here because uh, we're going to go up to Michigan and talk to uh, one of my favorite members of Congress that you probably can't spell his last name. I I defy you to type in his last name. It's Bill Heisinga, and um, Bill is just a rock-solid guy. I've been out there in his district. I was out in uh, in Holland, um, uh, and uh, but somebody I got to spend with, uh, you know, side-by-side side for years and got to know, and just thrilled that uh, Bill Heisinga, a current member of Congress from from uh, Michigan, is uh, is joining us on the line today. Bill, thanks for joining us. Hey Jason, good to uh, good to hear from you again, and uh, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Kid Rock bump music was perfect. Uh, there is nothing like Michigan in the summertime, and uh, now we 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 have sort of San Diego kind of jammed into June, July, and August. Uh, but it's an amazing uh, amazing place here in West Michigan. We get sunsets over sandy beaches, and it's a beautiful uh, beautiful place. So we got to get you and the family to come back up again in the summertime. That's not a heavy lift, so uh, we w- we will do that. But uh, hey, uh, you're a you're a financial guy. Uh, you're there in the financial services committee. I want to talk about this bill passed out of the Senate. It's coming your way there in the yeah. House of Representatives. I'm going to guess that you're not supportive of this bill, um, and the question is why. Well, uh, here's here's why. By the way, I lovingly had previously called the uh, first iteration of Build Back Better the Buyback Voters Act. Uh, so this might be the buyback voters slightly less expensive act, uh, but that's about it, right? I mean, we're doing more spending, three hundred, four hundred and thirty billion dollars in additional new spending on this. And here's what I think is the the saddest part of this all, Jason. We know that in the ensuing year that we had been having this discussion about Build Back Better, the effects of federal spending on inflation and on those cost increases that we've seen. And now you could uh, you could have maybe passed that off as ignorance on the Democrats' part, not understanding how the economy works, uh, not really fully understanding uh, the effects that uh, you know uh, the, the, the Federal Reserve's uh, monetary policy might have, those kinds of things. 
Now we have shifted from that. There is story after story after story, uh, and it's not just the uh, academic white papers. It's the AP. You know, when AP and NPR are reporting on the bad news of, uh, of federal spending, it's an obvious one. And so we've shifted from ignorance to malfeasance, frankly. Uh, these folks know what this uh, is going to do, yet they plunged ahead anyway just to try to please their base. Yeah, and I hope the American people will start to understand and realize this. When they're, they're, when inflation uh, is so rampant and it's overcoming any sort of maybe increase that people got in a cost of living adjustment or any sort of raise at work, um, I think most people, most economists would understand that uh, throwing more money, raising taxes, is not going to solve the problem. Let's listen to Senator John Kennedy in Cut 8 uh, the Republican from Louisiana, uh, the senator there, uh, on his take. Because of inflation, uh, Louisianians are really getting good at barely getting by. And that's true for most Americans, too. Most Americans, if not all Americans, are now going to have even less money to spend as prices continue to rise. It takes a special kind of stupid, in my judgment, to raise taxes during both a recession and inflation. That's called stagflation. Give us your take and have people understand how, I mean, there's several different provisions. I want to get your take on two things. One is the tax increases that come with it. And the other thing is how they're going to spend money on these 87,000 IRS agents. I mean, that's just out of control. It is. And first of all, shout out to uh, Senator Kennedy. I love him. <laughs> he, is, he, he, he has this uh, unique ability to just talk uh, in a way that northerners just can't talk. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and he paints these pictures that are just uh, that are just awesome. Uh, but, you know, let's start. Let's start with the IRS. All right. Um, we know that uh, this is what uh, tax and spend liberals do. Uh, they tax more and they spend more. Well, they uh, they are believe that they're getting screwed somehow or another here, and so they need to send even more IRS agents out there. Um, and uh, 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 it is uh, it's documented how many billionaires we have. It's documented how many multimillionaires we have. Uh, we don't even have as many billionaires as there are IRS agents uh, that they're trying to add. And uh, so where do they where are they going to go? after this money. It's going to be mission creep. They're going to look at those lower income folks. Uh, they have to. And and if you look at a heat map of uh, where uh, the IRS is active, uh, it ain't in those blue states. It's in the red states. Now, we can leave that aside as to you know what political motivations there might be. But um, it, it is a fact that uh, there are going to be more small business owners uh, that are going to be having audits going in that's uh, taking away from their ability to do their job, and uh, that that's going to be tragic. So now when you talk about the tax increases that these folks are going to be feeling, um, it's just outright false that uh, this is only going to affect people uh, in the $400,000 and above income category. Uh, The uh, Joint uh, Tax Committee, I know you're very familiar with that. Uh, They've laid out that uh, this is going to be going uh, at that upper middle class. 
uh, independent small business owner uh, that uh, that might have a, a a reasonably healthy balance sheet, but they own equipment. They might own uh, whether it's in construction equipment, or they might own a plumbing supply uh, uh, shop, or they might own a pizza shop or two. Um, that is uh, that's the type of folks that they show an income on their income statement, but that doesn't mean they collect all that money, right? They're reinvesting it into their small business. And you're now going to have the IRS uh, uh, just diving into their books even deeper and further. You're going to be increasing the tax burden. And what are they going to do with that? Pass it along to their customers. So it's going to affect all of us even more so. And uh, despite whatever kind of wage increases that there's uh, that there's been in the recent years, uh, we're going to see again uh, more uh, fuel on that inflationary fire, and uh, and the Democrats are touting this as a victory. Yeah, it, it really. I want to go back to that IRS provision because I think you make a good point, right? Add up all the millionaires and billionaires, uh, and you're not going to come up with as many uh, as you do with the the number of people that are in addition to what the IRS already has. I saw a graphic up on Fox News um, that said, if you take the State Department, the FBI, and Customs and Border Patrol and combine their entire staff, the IRS will have more agents than that. Um, It it really is. I mean, I'd look at it and say, hey, everybody in the country is going to have an IRS enema. That's really what this bill is. It's an enema bill. It, It says, hey, uh, we know you're cheating, so we're going to come in and we're going to just audit you. And there is nothing worse than getting a notification in the mail that says IRS on the upper left part of it and then and then saying, all right, now we're going to turn your life upside down. You're going to have to spend all this money in this audit proving um, – I mean, look, I want people to be honest on this, but there are algorithms you can run to figure out whether or not – People are are lying and cheating or not. But, boy, I think they did it in part to get their numbers because supposedly it's going to generate all this revenue for the Treasury, that newfound money. That never comes to fruition. That never happens. It's yeah. just yeah. Just I, I, I think you hit you hit an important point there, Jason. This is really a justification, right? I mean, they're 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 making up the story to back their goal, and uh, and it, it never ends up pulling in the type of money that they that they project that it will. Um, it is. Uh, it really is, uh, as you, as you call it, you know that that uh, that uh, financial enema that is going to go to every small business person uh, here in America. Uh, and you have to ask uh, why they're not paying as much intense in, uh, attention to the southern border. You brought up the Customs and Border Patrol and the number of agents. If they would just if they would focus that kind of energy on the southern border as they do on the IRS, guess what? We'd solve that problem in a hurry uh, because that's tangible. Uh, so uh, this is this is going to be a bad bad deal for the American people. And yes, we're we're going to be going back to Washington D.C. and uh, be voting on the. Uh, built back slimmer i guess is uh, maybe another way of putting it <laughs> yeah no well said i had uh i guest hosting the the next revolution uh on fox news last night and uh congressman brian mast and i know you know well was on the show and and he he made that very similar point to what you made which is hey, you know what uh we have a crime problem in this country are they putting more money towards fighting crime no they're not 
Uh, we have an immigration scourge that's going on. People are crossing the border by the millions. Are we putting more money to secure a border? No. Where the Democrats have decided to spend their security money is in the IRS. And that tells you everything you want to know, that, uh, that they much rather have tens of thousands of additional IRS agents than police or Border Patrol or anybody else out there to actually make our streets and our lives more safe and secure. This is where they're going to spend their money. Uh, Bill, I've, I have to move along, but uh, Bill Huizinga, congressman from uh, Western Michigan, uh, does an incredible job. Um, and uh, they're in financial services, uh, the Financial Services Committee, and and I think you're going to be running that place before you know it. So um, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, thanks, Jason. Uh, can hardly wait to get back into the majority. Now we got to follow through on November. But uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. Again, Bill Heisinga joining us uh, there from uh, Western uh, Michigan. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com, BrianKilmeadeShow.com, and you can learn more. But thanks. Uh, hang in there with us. We'll be right back. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Are you encouraging him to run again? I'm encouraging him to focus on what's right in front of us. Do you think President Biden is the best candidate in 2024? I'm going to be very blunt and very honest with you. My focus is totally on this November. The country would be well served by a new generation of compelling, well-prepared, dynamic Democrats uh, to step up. I'm working on my own election, and that's all I'm focused on right now. The president chooses uh, to run again in 2024. I mean, first of all, I'm focused on winning this majority right now. I don't want to answer that question because we have not. That's not. Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. Wow. Have you ever heard uh, such a runaway uh, uh, from supporting their own president? It's pretty stunning, isn't it? These are tier one Democrats who won't say whether or not they should support Joe Biden um, and Kamala Harris as a ticket. Moving forward, you know, we haven't even gone through the midterms yet, and yet they're running for the hills on this guy. Um, the idea that you can't say something nice and positive and encouraging um, about your own president speaks volumes. I, I, I love in that montage you had Senator Richard Blumenthal, which you, this should put up a, a flashing red light for anybody. Anytime a politician starts with, I'm going to be very blunt and very honest with you. <clears throat> Very honest with you. Are, are you kidding me? Like, that is the flashing red light that you are just lying through your teeth, folks. I'm going to be very honest with you. What, you're not very honest with me all the time? You're, you're going to make a special notation here, Senator? Um, he is just lying through his teeth. I have never seen, not that I've been following politics, you know, forever, but I have never seen an incumbent who is you know, barely a year and a half into a four-year term have so many people in his own party not rallying behind him. Compare that to Donald Trump, actually. I think he was more divisive at the beginning, but by the time they got to the end, pretty much the Republicans were very united behind him. Yeah, there's a few stragglers here and there, and they were noteworthy because they were stragglers. 
But if you look at actually Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and where they are today, you know, it's fascinating because I think there are less than five people who have actually encouraged and want and got the endorsement of President Biden going into this election. So the 2022 election is about to happen. There are literally, I mean, I'm not kidding you when I talk about this, there are more than 400 and 50 races. I think it's actually more than 460 races in Congress, right? Because you get about 30 or so in the in the United States Senate, and you have all 435 members in the House of Representatives. And the president is out there and has endorsed how many of them? Less than five? How how can the how can the Democrats continue on in this way? You have major candidates out there. Stacey Abrams running for governor of Georgia. She doesn't want him to come to town. Tim Ryan uh, running for the United States Senate there in Ohio uh, doesn't want to be in the same room as the president. And these are Democrats, uh, unwilling, unable, uh, uh, because they want to actually win races. Now, why is it that they're running away from Joe Biden like they are? Personally, I think it's because not of his cognitive decline, not because of ageism. You know, Democrats are saying, oh, he's getting to be too old. That's just ageism. You can be you can be old and sprite. Now, Joe Biden is not those things. But what they really struggle with is his policies. It's his policies that are unpopular. He ran to unite the country. He ran further to the left. And now they're celebrating how he's running to the left, but they don't like his poll numbers. The American people are very willing to support somebody when they advocate and implement the policies that they want to see happen. But whether you're talking about immigration or crime or inflation and what's going on in the gas pumps or foreign policy, I mean, you name any one of these things, I think the American people would be supportive of you and your numbers would be good. But they're not because the country's going in the wrong direction. There was a poll recently where 88% of the country, a stunning high number, 88% of the country said that this country was on the wrong track. Well, you know, the president likes to take credit for gas prices coming down, but doesn't take any credit for them when they go up. Oh, this is Putin's price hike. This is Putin's this. It is Putin did that. That's why we're having, those are all facades. They're all lies. It's just not true. And if it was Putin that raised all the prices, was it Putin that decreased all the prices? No, that didn't happen. It's because you have government that is spending far too much money. Only government, the federal government, gets to spend this type of money. Only federal government has the ability to turn on the printer and print more money. That's what causes this inflation. And so when you look at what they've done with the Inflation Reduction Act, the infrastructure bill, the chips bill, um, uh, all of these things add up, folks. And that's on top of a base budget, which is too much. We're paying too many people for too many things. More than 25% of our gross domestic product is spent by the federal government. It's unsustainable. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We hope you continue to stay with us. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Stay with us.
from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Almost, Brian Kilme. This is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian today. Uh, I hope you have a chance to uh, check out my podcast along the way. It's uh, it's called Jason in the House. So I have a podcast called Jason in the House. Fox uh, puts it out, publishes it every week. We talk to somebody interesting, go a little bit deeper about who they are, what they believe in, what informs them. And anyway, go to type in Jason in the House if you're interested in those types of podcasts. But for today... Hosting the Brian Kilmeade Show, honored to do it, and uh, I have a lot of fun doing with it. Doing it, and uh, hey, you know, each Monday we have uh, Michael Goodwin uh, join the show, and uh, today's no exception. I'm thrilled to have uh, Michael Goodwin. He's a Fox News contributor, but much, much more importantly, he's a New York Port, New York Post columnist, and uh, he's got a great uh, column uh, out today. It says, less Joe Biden is just fine with Democrats. Uh, Michael, thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. My pleasure, Jason. Thank you. Hey, you, you hit this one right on the head, as you usually do. Um, I, you know, I, it is stunning how few people actually want to be seen with and have their picture taken with the president. A remarkable thing, and it's it's a clear barometer uh, as to how he's doing with the Democratic base. Because I mentioned in the column, Stacey Abrams and um, and and Tim Ryan in Ohio, Abrams in Georgia, of course, and in both states, when Biden showed up for some event, ostensibly the campaign with him, and that was the invitation. They both had conflicting schedules. Yeah. Now, what are the odds of that? That the president's coming. Oh, but I'm sorry, I, I have to speak at the Rotary Club. I mean, you you choose not to be with the president of your own party because you think he's a liability, and you can get no more clear uh, evidence that the party sees Biden's problems as a dead weight on their own attempts. So you you do have this phenomenon of people running from the president. Yeah, we we played earlier a, a, a montage of clips when senior Democrats, I mean, we're talking senior House members, United States senators asking if, here we are, we're just over a year and a half into the Biden-Harris administration, and, you know, should the president run again? And nobody, but nobody could get up and say, oh, absolutely. I, not, not one of them that we played a clip of could, could come to that conclusion. And look, it's not surprising, right? When you look at the president's poll numbers, particularly on the issue of, of the economy. I mean, the last one I looked at had him something like 19% approval on the handling of inflation and the economy. I mean, those are those are dead man walking numbers. And the idea that you're going to embrace that president for four more years, I mean, what that says to voters who who are in the other 80 percent of the group who think he's failing 
at, on these topics. Uh, it says, you know, that you as a candidate, you're out of touch or you don't care about the issue that I care about most. So as you well know, since you've been in the, in the business, uh, that's how the, how the politicians see it. They, Joe Biden to them is toxic because the public thinks he's failing. Therefore, to be seen with a failure, is it, it could rub off on you. Yeah, but, you know, Joe Biden was supposed to unite the country. He was supposed to be the one to, to you know, bring us together. But he really lurched to the left. I mean, he has embraced. I mean, look at the bill that's passing now. Uh, look at the mass. I mean, trillions of dollars of new additional spending. You'd think they'd be patting him on, on the back a little bit because he did go far to the left. But also, America doesn't like that. It, it remains, Jason, to me, the great mystery of his, of his tenure. Why he did that. I mean, he was, he was elected because... He was the party's antidote to AOC, to, to Bernie Sanders, right? He was going to be the moderate, and this was maybe it would be the last, <clears throat> the last election of the Democratic moderate. They seem to be a dying breed. But still, within the power structure of Washington, the, you know, the Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Clyburn, I mean, these are, these are not... They have not been radicals historically, the same in the Senate. But you see what's happened, not just with Biden, but with Pelosi and Schumer. They've all gone left, and I don't know why. They didn't need to do it. The numbers weren't there that said you must basically either stay silent or endorse defund the police. Now, none of the, the leaders actually endorsed it, but neither did they condemn it. And so I think it, it was a strange uh, decision that they all made. They gave the left more power than it actually had, and therefore they made it strong. And when you think about Bernie Sanders becoming the head of the budget committee in the Senate, I mean, Bernie Sanders, first of all, isn't even a Democrat, as Hillary Clinton used to say, but he's a socialist. So why would you make a socialist the head of the, of the Senate Budget Committee unless you were prepared to move everything to the left? You were prepared to submit a budget that was socialist-inspired, and that's what they've done. Now, they thankfully, they haven't gotten nearly everything they wanted but this vote over the weekend on this latest package, it, it's like a down payment. You know, they're moving further left than, than the country was when they came to Washington. So they're making progress in all of the wrong ways, I would say. Yeah, it, it, you know, they, they make a case, uh, some of these uh, pundits, that, oh, you know, uh, Joe Biden, he's, he's getting too old. You know, they sort of make this ageism case about it. What, that they couldn't figure that out two years ago, a <laughs> year and a half ago? I mean, what in the world just changed? suddenly got old, huh? <laughs> yeah, now he's suddenly too old to run for president. And there's also the Hunter Biden factor. How do you think people, I mean, do people in D.C., do you think they know and understand, oh, gosh, this Hunter Biden thing is just bad and getting worse? Well, if they do, it's no thanks to the media, uh, by and large. Look, I, I, I think uh, 
I mean, I've been a big proponent of the story. I've written about it. I, I think fundamentally there is here a clear line to Joe Biden on all of this. It's no longer about Hunter. It's really about Joe. And did he share? Uh, I mean, the, the Post has been doing some really excellent stories lately that have not gotten, I think, sufficient attention on the fact that Joe Biden met numerous times with Hunter and with his business partner, Eric Schwerin, uh, after they returned from foreign trips. He also, we know he also met with government leaders and industry leaders who were paying Hunter. So this idea that it's all about Hunter, that's yesterday's news. I mean, the real news is that Joe Biden is participating in this. Now, and, and I think it's, it's not hard to understand, but the, the ability to deliver the vice president of the United States for a meeting in the White House for an hour is, is worth a lot of money. Imagine what lobbyists couldn't collect if they were able to deliver the vice president for a half hour. (laughs) That's how they think of it, right? We delivered him. We got you the meeting with the vice president. Now pay me. I mean, that is what Hunter Biden has been doing. Now, what we don't know, in addition, is what else did he get for that? For example, did did, uh, Joe Biden then promise some American government support or aid for these people and their projects? And then finally, of course, did Joe Biden get a cut of the money that was being paid to Hunter? I mean, we have the Tony Bobolinsky testimony that he was the big guy. Uh, We have another partner in that venture saying, you know, don't talk about Joe being involved in front of them. They, They don't like it, meaning Hunter and Jim Biden. So all the, all, all the signs are there. All, all the arrows to Toyland are right in front of us. And so I think it is a massive big story. I think it's been going on for a long time that, that the Biden family has been enriching itself off of Joe's government service. And I, I think that while I, while I understand a lot of people have many other concerns inflation etc the border i mean there are no no there's no end to the list of things to worry about this is a big one too and it should it should get its full attention yeah i agree and look hats off to the new york post and uh in fox they've been covering and writing and covering this story but boy you get anybody else in the so-called traditional media they just nowhere on this um last take i want to get from you michael about this whole phenomenon about less joe biden is just fine with the democrats um kamala harris is like nowhere it, you know you would think that she'd be next in line she fits all the uh, all the things the democrats were hoping for but i i remember there was a poll in california her home state and one of the core reasons she dropped out of running for president herself is I think she was polling eighth. I mean, she had Andrew Yang polling again, uh, ahead of her in her own state, and she's nowhere. I mean, her her inability to communicate, the word salad she gives, I mean, she's inept on foreign policy, has no experience there. But it doesn't seem like she is the person in waiting if Joe Biden doesn't run again. 
Right. You know, I, I attribute this line to Molly Hemingway, whom, uh, from the Federalist, whom I first heard it from. She she may have she may have picked it up from somebody else, but it was something to the effect of, "If you're impressed by Kamala Harris, just wait 15 minutes." Uh, and and I think I, I think that's the routine that we've seen. That you know, when she broke onto the scene, she seemed to be this smart, uh, driven, you know, articulate. Uh, new new face uh, on the California political scene. But after a while, you see, as you say, the word salad, she has nothing to say. And so many of the things that she says are wrong. Um, and, you know, Jesse Smollett, what a great kind man. I mean, all these things, right? It was a lynching. Uh, she, she just keeps putting her foot in her mouth virtually every time she opens it. And so hard to see how she comes back from this. And I, I don't see, you know, you mentioned the polls in California when she was still running. I mean, she didn't even make it to Iowa. She dropped yeah, out before yeah. the first caucus. So it's hard to see uh, what she could do that would make up for all that. In effect, that would give people a reason to give her a second look. Um, on the other hand, we must not forget Joe Biden himself uh, was a loser in what? How many? Two or three presidential campaigns before his ship came in. Uh, so, look, anything is possible in politics if you if you live long enough. Well, we'll we'll see. I mean, look, our borders are uh, Kamala Harris isn't exactly picking up the slack. It's not as if they're saying, hey, you know, I, I know Joe can't come here and we really don't want him to come here but let's have Kamala Harris I don't see anybody scrambling to get their picture with her going into an election so it's a and if I could just say quickly uh Jason on that I mean I think that the lesson of vice presidents is you have to make your mark on something right right yeah become good at something become an expert on something important she seems to run away from important topics yeah, no, it's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist and uh, Fox News contributor. Thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jason. All right, stay with us. We'll be right back. What do you think your biggest failure has been at this point? <laughs> to not get out of D.C. more. <laughs> Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, actually, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian, but uh, we want to go take a call, and let's go to uh, affiliate KRMG out there in Oklahoma. I think we have Ron on the line. Ron, what's uh, what's on your mind? Well, there's a couple of things, actually, I'd like to throw out there for people's consideration. Uh, number one, as I was hearing, listening to you talking about the 19% uh, approval rating of um, Biden's policies, and like I told your call screener, if possible, I'd like to see a show of hands that think that, that these are actually Biden's policies. Uh, they're not. They picked him for a reason, and that's to lead him around by the nose. And so these aren't they, these aren't being generated from Joe Biden. Secondly, the Pelosi uh, goodwill tour 
uh, you know, drew a lot of attention and a lot of controversy. In my humble opinion, sir, I think this was a, a smoke signal saying, hey, in case things don't work out for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I can be the president. Yeah, no, I think, Ron, I, I think you're I think you're right. I think uh, Joe Biden was the safe pick. I think they thought that he could beat Trump, but they also knew that he wasn't really going to be much of a fighter, that he would just kind of go along to get along. And I think there are some puppeteers behind the scenes, which are in large part uh, part of Barack Obama's team. I mean, Susan Rice, Brian Deese. um, These are some of the key puppeteers, if you will, behind the scenes that are that are calling the shots. And look, Democrats have lurched left. They, they weren't the uniters that were going to bring together the right and the left and the red states and the blue states. Hey, we're the United States. They, it, it's no Joe Biden. That's no they, – they have gone so far radical on the left. I just think that they are going to pay a huge price. Um, I, I just think America understands when 88% of America says the country's on the wrong track, they, Biden has, and the Democrats have, the House, the Senate, and the presidency. They don't have a lot of excuses. And to hear them talk about it, um, Ron, I think you're right. I think they would do even more. They would raise taxes more. They would spend more if they could. But, boy, they're right on the edge and the precipice. But you put together the this, this omnibus package or this uh, reconciliation package, the infrastructure package, the chips bill, the $1.9 trillion, you start to add all that up. And we're passing $6 trillion plus all those other things I just mentioned. And so is inflation going to get worse? Yeah, it's going to get worse. Is uh, Are we going to get you know deeper into what I believe is a recession? Yeah, I think so. I don't think you can spend that much money and have that much government control Add 87,000 IRS employees on top of that. Uh, I Did anybody ever campaign on the idea we we're going to add 87,000 IRS employees? No, they would never do that. But that's what they're actually doing. Stay with us. We have uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin running for governor. He's up next. Stay with us. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is horrific when you think about uh, what uh, the governor uh, is doing, the governor of Texas, uh, after a month of traveling across the border, placing on the bus with no direction to come here uh, to New York. That, of course, is uh, Mayor Eric Adams um, complaining, crying, if you will, about what's going on with these uh, people who have crossed the border now coming into New York. Um, I got news for you, uh, Mayor. Uh, You probably have more that are flowing into your city than you even realize. But when they get there to Texas and they voluntarily want to get on a bus because, hey, that's where they're headed. For the governors of Texas and Arizona, Governor Ducey in Arizona as well, to send them to New York City, I think it's a good thing. I think they should pick up the number of buses. That's just my take on it. But let's get somebody who uh, 
actually lives in New York, somebody who is the Republican nominee for governor of New York, none other than Congressman Lee Zeldin, who's uh, joining us on the line. Uh, Congressman, thanks for joining us. I want to get your reaction to uh, what's going on uh, with Mayor Adams and his complaint about what's going on in New York City. The complaints could, in in theory, have started a long time ago. These planes have been flying into New York for a long time, and I haven't heard anything from Governor Hochul and nothing from any of these New York Democrats. All of a sudden, a bus arrives from Texas, and now they're trying to make it seem like every single person who's arrived into this state who's illegally in the country, who have all been uh, brought into this country throughout this softening of the border and this what is now a full-blown crisis. Like all of a sudden, it's just Governor Abbott's, Abbott's fault. I mean, I saw the story where the, you know, the mayor was talking about New York City shelters were being overrun by these migrants and thousands of people arrived. It all start, they all started complaining after one bus showed up inside of New York City. Uh, and the solutions are really obvious as to how to fix this at our border and the rhetoric that's coming from you know, Mayor Bowser in D.C., the rhetoric that's coming from Democrats in New York, uh, aren't calling on the Biden administration to take action to secure the border. Instead, they just want to engage in partisan political rhetoric and try to punch these border governors in the face. And those border towns, those border governors, they're getting desperate. They're acting out of desperation. And if you think it's bad if a bus or two shows up in your city, imagine what's happening to them all day, every single day. And then think through what would you do if you were in their shoes? Yeah, we're talking about millions of people who have been flowing across. I think the the Biden-Harris administration has been tacitly encouraging this and engaging in human trafficking and drug trafficking the amount of the number of deaths, the number of, you know, you look at the fentanyl problem in New York City, um, the drug cartels are in control of the border. I, you know, Secretary Mayorkas of Homeland Security can say, oh, the border's closed. The White House spokesperson could say the border's closed. But talk to any single Border Patrol agent and they'll tell you that is absolutely fundamentally not true. That's right. And in New York City, they have legal drug injection sites because of cashless bail in New York, two Mexican cartel drug smugglers just got busted with 1.2 million of crystal meth, and they were instantly released back out on the street. In New York, they just started giving out cannabis licenses for distribution, and they gave front-of-line access to people who have prior drug convictions. So if you have a prior drug conviction, you are first in line to get the license. Now, you look at what's going on in our border. You talk about not just people coming illegally, but also things coming illegally, especially fentanyl. That's top of mind for a whole lot of a lot of New York and American families right now. And you say to yourself, OK, if I was the president, what would I do today? Let's finish construction of the border wall. Let's end catch and release. Let's enforce the remain in Mexico policy. Let's support customs and border patrol. Let's stop incentivizing and rewarding illegal entry. Let's shut down the Biden administration's travel agency. We're on top of them flying you to destinations of your choice across this country. They're giving you a free phone on top of it all. The solutions are obvious, and that makes people that much more frustrated because they know how to fix this themselves if they were given 30 minutes to do it.
We're talking with uh, Lee Zeldin. He's a congressman from New York, but he's uh, the the uh, Republican nominee for governor there in New York. Um, so let's put on your con- your congressional hat for a moment here. Uh, this bill that just passed out of the Senate, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. You know, last night I had Congressman Mast, who I, I know you know well, uh, out of Florida. And he made a really good point, and his point was, you know, they could have been fighting uh, money, giving money to fight crime. They could have given money to fight and secure the border, but they didn't. They decided to give all this money to the IRS because, you know, obviously everybody is cheating on their taxes and all the businesses in New York and everybody, they all need this enema from the, I, from the IRS. Let's listen to cut nine and I want to get your reaction to it. It's an attack on American workers. They're going to tax you. Let's look at what they're most interested in. Uh, the, the Democrats here, they're not interested in policing our border. They're not interested in funding police anywhere around the country. The thing they're most interested in is policing your bank account so much to the tune that they they put forward $80 billion in this bill to hire 87,000 new IRS auditors. That's not to get you a quicker refund. It's to monitor your accounts, to audit you more. This is what they're interested in. That's the policing they really want. I think he's spot on. Do you do you agree, or what's your thought on this? I can't possibly agree with him more. It's an astute observation of reality right now in Congress. I believe that control of Congress on November 8th is likely to flip. I don't believe it's about riding in a wave. It's about creating a wave. And instead of just staying silent while the Democrats are passing this new bill, you have to speak up with regards to what's wrong with it and why it's bad and where the misplaced priorities are. And that's especially why I think it's important that uh, Congressman Mast made the points that he did. Uh, There are tax increases included in this bill. It's going to end up including hardworking business owners. It gets passed down on costs, wages, decisions that have to get made where uh, Americans will feel this in in multiple ways. And I think with the reality setting in for a lot of congressional Democrats that they realize that they're not going to have one party rule after 2022 is that they're just deciding to raid the Treasury on their way out. They're not trying to be responsible. And if they really wanted to make a a strong play for showing that they're responsible in governing, they would they wouldn't be passing this bill. They wouldn't be uh, you know, passing the massive boost to the IRS. They wouldn't be trying to spy more on your bank account, and they wouldn't be raising taxes. Instead, they would be doing what, what Congressman Mass pointed out. Uh, but I think that they just made the decision at this point. They're very likely to lose control of Congress. Let's start raiding the Treasury, they say. You know, but how is it that the Democrats are just so absolutely tone deaf about fighting crime? I mean, and it's not just New York City. We, we, uh, you know, I, look, I'm a contributor at Fox News. I talk about New York City all the time. It's one of the biggest, most important cities uh, in our country. But this is true across the country. I mean, these prosecutors that got elected in some of these big major cities are some of the most radical um, DAs that you can possibly have. They just don't prosecute these these things. And consequently, the, you have criminals who just know that there's virtually no consequence uh, to their actions. And um, But to have zero money to go to fight to secure the border and none on crime, I mean, it could have been a pretty easy ad, 
but the, it's just not a democratic priority to to go actually lock down and get tough on crime. That's right, and it's not that they just forgot about it. It's just right. not where their priority is. And what we see in places like New York, and New York's not the only example, we're seeing this elsewhere, is that you have prosecutors who are getting elected who refuse to enforce laws across the board. You have some lax judges that will have a criminal in front of them who it's just obvious. Maybe it's dangerousness. Maybe it's past criminal record. Maybe it's flight risk or the seriousness of the offense. The average American would realize that if they were the judge, this person should stay behind bars, but a judge will release them anyway. We read the headlines of the person who ends up murdering the Goldman Sachs employee on the New York City subway because that lax Brooklyn judge released the person. In that case, the prosecutor was asking for bail. Last week, we saw the story of the Times Square slasher. Well, that person was released from a Queens judge who was lax and far left, even though the prosecutor in Queens was asking for bail. We saw the story two weeks ago where a 16-year-old got into a fight with an NYPD officer in the subway. Just a few days before that, committed a violent robbery, and the DA in Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, who needs to go, decides to not seek cash bail, not try to hold this person accountable. And even after getting into that assault with the NYPD officer, because, by the way, that that 16-year-old thought that he was entitled to fair jump because Alvin Bragg said he's not going to prosecute it anymore, right after that assault, he was instantly released on top of the violent armed robbery days before and then assaulting the officer. All this combined with pro-criminal laws that they're enacting, like in New York, cashless bail, letting people early out, trying to limit the tool of solitary confinement inside of prisons, releasing cop killers and murderers and rapists inside of parole boards and not caring about victim impact, and leaving law enforcement out to dry and refusing to back the blue. This is all by design with law, with lax DAs, lax judges, and they want to bring this national. That's that's what we're seeing. So what's happening behind the scenes? They didn't just forget about being tough on crime. This is all by design. Okay, so what can you as governor do? I mean, you still have a Democratic legislature by most all accounts. But what can a governor like you do in New York to help solve all that? My first action right after I am sworn into office is turning to the Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, and telling him he's fired. The governor of New York has the constitutional authority, I would say the the constitutional responsibility to remove a DA who refuses to enforce the law. We do not have recall elections in New York, so it's up to me to do what the people can't. There is no recall. So I am going to act as my first action after I'm sworn in. Now, working with the legislature, some laws have to get changed. You have the governor has outsized powers that relates to the budget process. There's bills that these New York City Democrats need the governor to sign off on in order for New York City to have permission from Albany to do different things that they're trying to do in the city. And there's the power of the soapbox. You know, it's going into that state senator's district who's refusing to give a vote to repeal cashless bail. Have the rally, have the press conference, bring the local media, bring constituents and create the setting where that state senator is now getting back in their car, going to the state capitol and begging for a vote to repeal cashless bail as quickly as possible. Last I'll tell you is that mandates are earned. Some people think you win an election, you have a mandate to do whatever you want with regards to anything. 
No, it doesn't work like that. You have to tell people what you plan on doing when you win. And that's why I'm out there with a you know, multiple uh, dozen plan to secure our streets. It's all on our website, zeldinsfornewyork.com slash secure our streets. We're saying if you elect me, this is what I'll do day one, removing Alvin Bragg. This is what I'll do as far as cashless bail needing to be repealed uh, and getting a law enforcement bill of rights passed. It's all there on the website. We talk about it everywhere we go. That is how a mandate is earned. Well, we're talking to uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin. He's uh, running for governor there in New York. And uh, I tell you, if the good people of, of New York and anywhere else that they are aren't prioritizing the fight on crime, uh, there's nothing that's more demoralizing, more more paralyzing uh, to a community, to uh, business, to just a quality of life if you think that crime is going to be running rampant. And I don't know how how the Democrats think that this is, is not um, a tier one, if not the tier one uh, issue out there. Uh, Congressman Lee Zeldin, thank you so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian here. And I I have an observation, and it was based on somebody else's observation, and I want to see what your observation might be. So... Uh, Stephen L. Miller, I saw him uh, tweet. I follow him on uh, on Twitter, and uh, he, he's here's what he wrote: "Ah, weird. It's not the Inflation Act anymore. Uh, remember, it was supposed to be the Inflation Reduction Act. This is what the Democrats were all, you know, had they had framed the issue with the reconciliation package that they were putting together that now has passed the Senate and is headed over to the House." But let's start to take a little look at the headlines uh, as they came out because ain't nobody, you know, calling it uh, inflation reduction anymore. CBS News. Senate passes Democrats sweeping climate, health, and tax bill. Delivering win. CNN. Senate passes Democrats sweeping health care and climate bill. The Guardian. Senate passes $739 billion health care and climate bill after months of wrangling. Those are some of the headlines. Look at some of the other big ones out here. The New York Times. vote uh, Senate vote puts climate action in reach. And the Washington Post, top of the fold, right up there at the top. Senate passes key climate health bill. Nobody mentions inflation reduction because I think, as Republicans have pointed out, it's not going to reduce inflation. Now, I will give some credit, although not really too much credit, to the Washington Post. One of their headlines also on that story uh, right there at the top, it says why the, quote, Inflation Reduction Act, end quote, is no such thing. They're offering a perspective here because guess what, folks? It doesn't actually reduce inflation. It's going to exacerbate the situation. They used the uh, Inflation Reduction Act as the bait, as the spin to the country to try to say, look, we're solving inflation. We Democrats are good. They're exacerbating the situation. It spends more money. It, it, it implements a tax increase. 
And then it sends 87,000 IRS agents after you to give you a political enema of courtesy of the IRS. That's what this bill does. So to try to suggest that there was inflation, no. Now, after the bill's passed, all of these outlets are telling you what it actually is, kind of, without really explaining how much money they've spent. You combine that with the CHIPS Act, the infrastructure package, the hundred and uh, you know the one point nine trillion dollars. Guess what, folks? Inflation's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. And shame on these agent, these uh, traditional media outlets. They should have told you the truth a long time ago. They only do it after the fact. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. And you know what? I love doing this. I'm so, I could not thank Brian enough for entrusting me and allowing me to, to come step in. He's got a great staff. They make it really, really easy for you, so... Uh, thanks to the staff as well. But we've got a great uh, couple of people coming up that uh, I think you're really going to enjoy uh, the discussion with. So thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to kick things off here with uh, Congressman Andy Biggs. He's the congressman from Arizona's 5th Congressional District. Uh, I got to know him when I served in Congress. Uh, he was on the Senate Judiciary Committee with me. He was the uh, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, an all-around good guy, and I'm uh, very grateful that he would join us on the Brian Kilmeade Show today. Congressman th- Andy Biggs, thanks for joining us. Jason, great to be with you as always. Uh, I just want everyone to know what a what a great job you did, uh, Judiciary and then Chair of the Oversight Committee. Great job in Congress. Jason you know, the, the truth be told, I'm just playing off this, and I say this with a great big smile on my face. But, you know, when a member of Congress leaves and they have more seniority, it's a really good thing with people with less seniority because they move up the, the pecking order. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I appreciate the sincerity in which you said that. But I know there had to be a little bit of, hey, I get to move down a seat. This is good. <laughs> I got, yeah, I got to move up to the top row. You know, <laughs> exactly. <the> exactly. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, uh, hey, listen, you're from Arizona. Uh, my wife was born and raised in Arizona. I actually – her family lives in large part in your congressional district, and uh, you do an amazing job. I know how hard you work. I know how much you care about these things. Um, but I, I got to tell you, I it's almost comical that these tears that are flowing from the mayor of Washington, D.C. and the mayor hmm. of New York City, about a few busloads of people that are coming into their cities courtesy of uh, you know, Governor Ducey in Arizona and Governor Abbott in Texas. Now, these are people that are flowing into our country and saying, I want to go. They're volunteers. They're like, I want to go there. Um, and that's where I'm going anyway. And to have these buses arrive and then have them complain, it, it's really pretty stunning. Let's listen to Cut 16. This is Mayor Eric Adams in New York City. We are going to set the right message, the right tone of being here for these families. And, but we need help also. And we're reaching out uh, to the federal government 
uh, to tell them that we need help. We, we will be on the phone uh, with uh, the White House. Uh, they are willing to speak with us and communicate so that we can uh, resolve with this real humanitarian issue and crisis that we, that we are facing. I didn't hear him say, uh, why don't you shut down the border, Mr. President? I didn't hear anything <laughs> like that. Jason, it is it is amazing. I mean, they've got a, they get a few thousand that they know about. I mean, by the way, this our government is sending people all over the country. But imagine if you're in Yuma, you know where Yuma is sitting right on the border. And uh, it's a community of about 100,000. They've got one NGO that can handle uh, services for these folks. Uh, that enter the country illegally, and and they're getting 800 people a day, a day. And so they get about a quarter of their entire population every month flowing through there. Wow. Um, and, and and New York, a city of millions, D.C.'s uh, metro area of millions of people, and they're upset because they get a few thousand people bus there. Uh, it, to me, it is and, – and they don't call for the border to be closed. They, they, this is NIMBY, not in my backyard. It's okay if it happens to everybody else. Just don't want it to happen to us. And that's, yeah, that's, they, and they've been flying people <laughs> all over the country secretively. They know that these people have been coming into New York. Yeah, oh, yeah. New York, D.C., Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and then small communities throughout the country as well. I mean, Gila Bend, Arizona, uh, maybe, maybe 1,500 people there. No services whatsoever. And about a year and a half ago, uh, CBP was just dropping off dozens of people there. For what reason? They don't even have a bus stop in Gila Bend. So um, you've seen it all over the country, and we feel it certainly in Arizona. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I think uh, Brian Mast, who uh, you and I served with, congressman out of Florida, I mm. think he made a very keen observation of – I've talked about it a bunch uh, since he said it last night when I was able to guest host on The Next Revolution for Steve Hilton. And uh, he said, you know, we had a choice. Uh, Democrats had a choice. And rather than uh, putting money in the reconciliation package for fighting crime or helping to secure and lock down the border, they gave money for 87,000 additional IRS agents because, you know, everybody's obviously cheating on their on their taxes. So, and every business needs an, you know, an IRS enema. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. they, they, you know, so instead of doing that, they, they, they put their money in the IRS, not into helping lock down and secure the border. I mean, that speaks volumes about their priorities and, and no money to fight crime. Oh, right. that's exactly right. So, so you put 80 to a hundred billion dollars for IRS, but, but, you know, I, in all fairness to them, they did put $500 million to department of, of Homeland security. Now this is interesting here. It wasn't to close the border, secure the border and help ice enforcement or anything like that though. It was to carry out sustainability and environmental yes. programs. <laughs> that's, that's the $500 million going to DHS. And, and, uh, I'm just telling you, I, I want to ask people all the time, do you feel freer under the Biden regime than you than you felt before? Um, and nobody should feel freer because they're attacking your your economic freedom, your security, the crime that's out there that makes you feel insecure if you're in a big city to go anyplace and, and now spreading to even small cities. I mean, the, this administration is attacking the American people, and this bill is exhibit a for that 
Yeah. Oh, well, it's coming your way. You're going to get to vote on it soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of yeah. guessing. I'm pretty sure how you're going to vote, so I won't even ask you that question. Um, I, I want to transition a little bit more, though, um, about what's really going on, because I was fascinated by the idea that it was called the Inflation Reduction Act, but every headline that's out there has nothing to do with inflation because it doesn't actually fight inflation. It's going to make inflation worse. Even the Congressional Budget Office comes to that conclusion. But let's go to uh, Cut 10. This is on CBS. They're interviewing the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. So it would still be appropriate to raise rates in September by half a percent? Absolutely. And, you know, we need to be data dependent. It could, we need to leave our minds open. We have two more inflation reports coming out, another jobs report. We continue to collect all the information from the contacts we talk to to see how this is working its way through the economy. But you mentioned, you know, wage growth a little bit above 5%, inflation last print at 9.1%. Americans are losing ground every day, so the focus has to be on bringing inflation down. But that's not where the Democrats have put their put their money uh they've done everything but to fight inflation yeah that that's right and and so this bill is the latest big spender um on the part of the biden administration so they've spent three and a half trillion dollars in 15 months if you include this bill three and a half trillion dollars and that that is just going to fuel inflation and and exacerbate our problems going forward at the same time that this bill is also going to contract the economy by the way it's structured with its taxes and regulation etc so you're going to contract your economy at the same time you're going to give inflation uh, an even bigger boost and uh, you know by the way i love i love this uh, the the president of the san francisco fed she's the, the person who also said uh, last week that well you know she doesn't really feel it because she she makes enough money she doesn't really feel that inflation <laughs> Uh, you know, <laughs> just, uh, just, uh, just, uh, yeah, a uh, way to relate to, I, I, I think it's actually probably a fairly honest answer, but, uh, yes. come yes. on folks, like have some appreciation for what people are going through and all the people on fixed incomes have just seen their savings just wiped out. It's just, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just absolutely stunning. All right, I want to get your take on one other issue here, because I've never seen it in my lifetime that I can recall. I mean, we're we're barely 18 months into the Biden administration, and everybody's running for the hills. I, I read something that, like, five people have been endorsed by the president because nobody wants his endorsement. They don't want to be with him. They don't want him to come to his town. They don't want to uh, have the vice president come and campaign with them. And we're like right on the verge of having this this key election and nobody but nobody wants the president around. And when asked a direct question, oh, do they do some sidestepping? Nobody does it better in sidestepping than uh, Senator Chris Coons uh, from Delaware. Listen to him on uh, ABC Cut 11. I'm hopeful that President Biden will run again. If he does, I'll certainly support him. So no doubt, you, are you encouraging him to run again? I'm encouraging him to focus on what's right in front of us. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, they're getting right behind the president there. You know, he's, he's trying to say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll support him, I, hopefully. But are you encouraging? No, I'm not really to say that I'm encouraging him to run again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, 
uh, it, it, it's kind of hilarious. You know, we have a, a really important Senate race in Arizona, right? And so, you know, Mark Kelly is in trouble because he's the Democrat senator in Arizona because he's now running ads that say, hey, you know, it takes courage to run against your party and even your own president. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's what he's doing. He's having to run against Biden because Biden's policies are so unpopular uh, here in Arizona, and quite frankly, as you pointed out, everywhere in the country. Because, I mean, he's attacking the American people. And again, we get back to the bill we were talking about. That That's just another example of, of the, his willingness to go so radical that he's attacking the American people. And so nobody wants him. Why, would you want him? I wouldn't want him anywhere near me. I, I, but the fact that it, somebody like a Mark Kelly... Um, who is running for re-election, he's not – name something that he opposed the president on. I, I mean, you can't name anything. And he's, of course, he voted for the bill that just passed. Um, he's such a non-player. I can't believe the good people of Arizona put up with somebody who's so timid and such a lapdog for for the president. And don't tell me that he's he, – that's the thing. You, you see these ads that say that he's up against – you know, fighting against their own president. He name one thing where he's actually really come out and made the move the meter. I can't name a single thing. No, he's a one hundred percent Biden uh, vote. I mean, he really is. And uh, Chuck Schumer, he, said he votes with Chuck Schumer a hundred percent of the time. Who votes with Biden a hundred percent of the time? So, I mean, the, he says he's standing up to the president, but you're right. He can't name a time. And uh, imagine if you're in a – look, in, in Arizona, we've got a, a district that is a plus-seven Democrat district that probably went to, to Biden by, by 11 points. It is in play now, Jason, and the member of Congress, the Democrat member of Congress who sits there is also worried, and, and he should be because it's going to be a, a close race, and we have a chance to – Republicans have a chance to take that seat. Well, yeah, go ahead and pack your bags, go back and campaign, and you might want to bring your laundry and stuff back because you may not have much time when you get back to, to stay. So um, I think we're going to see a sea change there. Uh, Congressman Andy Biggs uh, from Arizona, one of our one of our favorites, uh, just a great, great guy. Um, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Jason. You're doing a great job. Anytime, anytime. All right, everybody stay with us. we got Senator Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming. She's going to be coming up uh, later in the hour. Thanks for joining us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The Navy wants a, a future force, a force that will win and dominate wars in 2030 and 2040. And to get that force, they only have enough money uh, to invest in the future if they scrap our current Navy. And, and so they're talking about getting rid of some of our, our best ships, our Ticonderoga-class cruisers that have 120 missiles each on them. Uh, it's a ship the Chinese fear the most. Because America is not giving the Navy enough to, to build a future Navy, but, but maintain the, the force we have today. That was uh, former National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, Ambassador Robert O'Brien. I was uh, fortunate enough to guest host last night, uh, The Next Revolution, with Steve Hilton. I was the guest host. We had him as the lead guest. Um, 
This is the National Security Advisor for uh, President Donald Trump. He also, prior to that, helped lead the effort to get a lot of people, um, our hostages, out and worked closely with the administration. Anyway, he is uh, very, very conversant on our United States Navy. Uh, We love the Navy. We love our military, the the sailors that... uh, that fight for us and help protect us around the world, uh, they need our support. You know, one of the things that's uh, stunning about this bill, the reconciliation bill that passed, and it, particularly the, the, you know, so many parts of it, but the $80 billion that's set aside to uh, beef up the IRS so that it's bigger than the State Department, the FBI, and the Customs and Border Patrol combined uh, the IRS will just be, be be this mammoth, mammoth organization now. You know, what you, what you uh, look, we, we need an IRS. I, I'm not suggesting we totally abolish it. Uh, if there's reason to give somebody an audit, they give them an audit. But every business, every person doesn't need an enema from the IRS uh, like you're going to get. But the point here is, You've got this need to make sure that we have safety and security in the world. You know, I'm a big believer in peace through strength. It's sort of the Reagan approach. It's the Donald Trump approach that when you have this dominating military force, guess what? It creates more peace. And when you have somebody who now in China has more naval ships than the United States does, that's a problem. That creates a real threat to the world, but more importantly, to to the United States. As Robert O'Brien pointed out uh, in our interview, when Ronald Reagan was president, we had more than 600 ships. Now we have like 355. And we just puts us in a degree of vulnerability where the Chinese are building them so rapidly that, again, they have more ships, more assets at their disposal than we do. And so how are we going to be able to defend ourselves, not only on our shores, but if we have to fight on the Pacific Ocean, and then we also have to fight in the Atlantic Ocean, or if we have to take care of business with Taiwan, or, I mean, with, um, I'm sorry, with Iran, um, how are we going to do that? We need to be able to fight simultaneously, as Robert O'Brien explained to me offline, two and a half wars. You'd be able to fight. Out on the west, you need to fight in the east, and you got to be able to deal with a regional conflict. Our ability to do that is now very limited. Um, and it's not just the Navy, but I think he makes a really, really good case about the Navy. And you can't just flip the switch off and on, right? You can't just say, oh, build more, oh, build less, build more, build less. A lot of these systems will take 10, 12, 15 years. And so there's consequence. When we went through sequestration, we're still feeling the consequence of the deal that Boehner and um, uh, Obama came up with. So, I mean, that this is the problem. And I think Robert O'Brien highlights the idea that we better pay attention to our United States Navy because we need them now before we need them. But we may need them sooner rather than later. And let's pay attention to that and make sure we have the good fighting forces out there. Call us, 866-408-7669. 866-408-7669. Try to take some calls. And we have Senator Cynthia Lummis calling up. That number one more time, 866-408-7669. We'll be right back on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, almost Brian Kilmeade. This is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. Honored to do so. Um, and I want to get to the phones, uh, take some calls. We're going to go out to Dayton, Ohio. We've got Brenda. Brenda, what's on your mind? Hello. Hello. Thank you. You're doing a great job. Well, I thanks. To quickly share. Uh, I wanted to share a couple things um, regarding the IRS agents. Um, when Obamacare was first coming out and they said, you have to pass it so we can see what's in it. Right. My mom and I downloaded it. And we started just browsing different spots. There was a provision in there to assemble a new militia that is not anything we already have now. And it was to enforce the, the outrageous powers they're giving the IRS. So that's, that is already something that we saw coming. I couldn't believe what I was reading. I read it over and over. I couldn't believe it over and over what I was reading. Um, the other thing is the other piece of information that's out there that clearly illustrates what is happening. Ty and Charlene Bollinger have these video series about the truth about vaccines, the truth about cancer, but they have researched and videos of. Wait, wait, Brenda, 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 Brenda. Let me tackle that first one. I can only do one at a time. We only have just a couple minutes. Um, so let, let's go after this. The IRS getting more powers is, is something that I'm really concerned about. You know, when I was the chairman of the oversight committee, uh, one of the things we actually looked into is they had these uh, surveillance machines. These things could uh, tap into your phones um, and do so without necessarily having a wire. Uh, uh, you know, essentially a wiretap without having to have a court order. And so we went back to the IRS and said, um, so why did you, these machines cost like $250,000 a piece. And we said, so uh, why did you buy these? And they said, oh, we don't use them. And I said, well, why did you buy two of them? And um, it was pretty stunning. And the, and the uh, amount of ammunition and guns that the IRS had purchased now, my guess is if you're going out to do some collection or, um, you know, might be a dangerous situation, but that's why you go in with your local sheriff or law enforcement. I don't need my IRS to be the law enforcement, um, but this is the way some of the, th- some of the things they were doing. And I think we ought to keep a vigilant eye on that because if you're going to add 87,000 additional federal uh, employees as IRS agents to the tune of $80 billion. Let me just kind of put that in perspective. The entire state of Utah, you know, we're what, three and a half million people. Um, Everything we do, everything from education to the National Guard to, I mean, you name it, the, the whole gambit, up and down the line, everything we do with the state of Utah, it's like 20, 25 you know, billion dollars or something like that. And these people are going to have $80 billion. I'm just sorry. This is so out of control. It's so much bigger and more expansive um, than I think anybody's. And as we pointed out a couple times on the show already, the number of people that are going to get in small businesses that are going to get these uh, IRS enemas is going to be just off the charts. And the Democrats, guess what? They decided not to put it in to help secure the border, not to do more law enforcement to help with the crime surge that we're having around the country. No, this is all about all about making sure that we have more 
more IRS agents. And, you know, I think in part the Democrats did this because they wanted their numbers to look good. Because supposedly with all of these additional audits, it's going to bring in hundreds of billions of dollars of additional revenue. Those never come to fruition. Uh, it's just, I've never seen it happen, but it made the numbers look good so they can say, oh, long term, it reduces the deficit. But you know what? The Congressional Budget Office came back and said, eh, maybe not so fast. Not going to reduce uh, uh, the deficit in the first four years. It's only in the outer five years that supposedly it does that. But do those things ever come to fruition? Are we actually getting ourselves out of debt? No, we're just going further and further into debt. The numbers are really stunning. So, Brenda, I do appreciate the call, and thanks for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, there out in Dayton, Ohio, WNDB. So thank you so much for joining us. We got Cynthia Lummis, uh, the, the senator from Wyoming, coming up. Uh, stay with us here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, almost Brian Kilmeade. This is Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian and uh, honored to be uh, hosting this show. Thanks for Brian and his confidence and let me sit in his chair for a couple hours. Um, I got to tell you, though, we got a guest on the phone that's one of my favorites. I, once upon a time, I used to be in Congress and... Um, it was the 2008 cycle where I was first elected, and there was a neighbor of ours. And I say neighbor because Wyoming, uh, in its proximity to, to Utah, there was another person running for, for Congress for the first time, and her name was Cynthia Lummis. I won. She won. We got to know each other very well and uh, just find her to be one of the finest human beings, somebody who cares deeply about her country, a former rodeo queen, None other than Senator Cynthia Lummis is joining us. Good morning, Jason. It's great to hear your voice. Um, I'm uh, finally back in Wyoming after that ridiculous marathon votorama that the Senate concluded yesterday mid-afternoon. So my colleague, uh, John Barrasso, and I uh, went running to the airport to try to get back home. It's great to be home, but 87,000 IRS agents? Can you believe that? That, I mean, it's not as if the IRS wasn't already big and bloated to start with, Um, and we've seen how they've abused their powers along the way. I, you know, Brian Mast, I I keep talking about this, but he, he brought out this point yesterday. The, the Democrats that aren't using money to go fight crime, they're not doing it to secure the border. They're, they're investing in more IRS agents. Who campaigned on that? I never heard that during the campaign. You elect me, and we will put an army of IRS agents out of there to give you all an enema. I, I never heard them say that. And it is literally an army. 87,000 new agents in the IRS is bigger than the army of the British Isles. That's how big this is. And only 50% of the IRS employees that are still working, that are currently on the job, have come back to work after COVID. They're working from home. 
So when taxpayers uh, want to make a, a, want a question answered, when they want uh, taxpayer services, when is my um, refund coming? No, these people are not for that purpose. They're not for the customer or or um, uh, taxpayer services side of the equation. They're all auditors. They're all to go out and sniff through your records and find mistakes you made when you were filling out your taxes, and then um, you get to pay those plus penalty plus interest. This is the most cynical thing of dozens of cynical things that the Democrats passed yesterday. And Jason, we took vote after vote after vote uh, during that voterama that was 50-50. Really? What, 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 it was all, it was very partisan. The whole process was uh, Democrats versus Republicans. And as you know, in the Senate, we have some pretty moderate Republicans that tend to side with the Democrats on a lot of issues. Boy, not during this bill. It was 50-50. Yeah. This was the Democrats getting everything that they could throw in that monstrous bill. It really is stunning. You know, originally it was uh, it was framed as supposedly the Inflation Reduction Act. But I don't listen to your uh, colleague there, Senator Chris Coons in Cut 3. He was on ABC talking about, well, maybe inflation, not so much. And while we may not see huge impacts on inflation in the first or second year, Treasury secretaries who've served in both Democratic and Republican administrations support this bill. And the AARP, who I trust as the voice of seniors in America, says this will make a big impact on prescription drug prices. Yeah, and I, I, earlier in the show, I went through a whole list of headlines from around the country, big news outlets. None of them were talking about inflation reduction because it doesn't, doesn't reduce inflation, does it? Not at all. And, and in fact, uh, the organizations that score these things, there's an outfit called Penn Wharton, uh, and then our own uh, Congressional Budget Office um, have both said, no, this, this isn't going to change inflation. Um, how can you spend three quarters of a trillion dollars, which is what this bill cost, and this is all without funding the government? This is not the traditional fund the right. government bill. This is all in addition to the traditional fund the government bill. How can you spend that kind of money and expect it to lower inflation? Government spending is a huge contributor to inflation. Last year, the Democrats passed that $1.9 trillion uh, bill that um, was supposed to be their last post-COVID bill. Then, of course, there was uh, the bill, the, what we call the China bill or USICA, and there's another nearly half a trillion. Then there was the burn pit bill. That was a quarter of a trillion. Uh, then there was the infrastructure bill last summer, which was not uh, build or nor intended to be the traditional fund the government bill. These are all on top of 
the traditional fund the government bill. Now, you know, when you it, pile, uh, pile on extra trillions in taxpayer money to spend, how can you expect any of it to help inflation, to help the American people at the gas pump, to help the American people who are flooded with immigrants coming in at the border, including fentanyl? None of the issues the American people are talking about are even addressed in this bill. This bill was intended to pour gasoline on the fire of the issues that the American people are already suffering over. Well, I'm glad to hear you fired up about it because, I, you know, it's going over to the House, and it would be fascinating to see how the vote goes down there. Um, uh, you know, hopefully, maybe there's some miracle that can be pulled out there, but I doubt it. I, I, I'm just shocked and surprised that uh, the Democrats are falling on their sword uh, on this one because – it doesn't do what it said it was supposed to do. And I do think the situation is going to get worse. I still remember this Milton Friedman talk. It was from the sixties. You can go look at it on, on YouTube. I've, I've heard it a, a few times. I've played it again recently. Only government creates inflation that they're the only <laughs> ones that have the printing press. And these numbers are so stunningly high. I just don't even, be, I mean, it's hard for people to even fathom 1 trillion, let alone, the trillions after trillions after trillions and no attempt to ever come close to even trying to balance our budgets. You know, you and I were, it wasn't that long ago that you and I were together in the U.S. House of Representatives. Right. And what Congress is doing these days, Jason, doesn't even resemble what you and I were trying to resist the Democrats doing (laughs) when when we were in our freshman terms. And then you look at uh, what we tried to do uh, when John Boehner was speaker, when the Republicans took over um, with um, reducing spending. Uh, and we only chipped away at it, but we did chip away. Yeah. Did you, you know, going back and looking at that time, um, and trying to get some semblance of, of fiscal sanity in place. Where are you at with the balanced budget amendment? I mean, I kind of come to the conclusion that Congress is just not going to be able to do this. And I'm totally in favor of sending to the states uh, and let them make a decision. Do we want to balance our budgets or do we not? And you have an interesting perspective because most people, I don't know if they know, but we're talking to Cynthia Lummis. She, you were also the state treasurer. You've run a sovereign wealth fund, for goodness sake. Uh, you kind of know what it's like. You know, you were cutting out during that, so I I didn't hear the question you posed. Um, but you tried when we were in the House to get a balanced budget amendment uh, passed uh, to the U.S. Constitution. Um, you led that effort. And uh, it fell on deaf ears. Uh, and I just think, Jason, if that was in place today, what a difference it would make in the lives of the American people and in what they're paying for things that they need and use every day, what it would mean for our country's growth uh, in terms of having an economy that is robust. There are only three ways uh, to get um, – this under control. It's cut spending, raise taxes, which of course 
hurts people, and that's what the Democrats chose in this bill. And the other one is expand the economy. And briefly, for a brief time during President Trump's um, presidency, uh, the economy was growing faster than the debt and the deficit. So, so it can be done, and yes. it was done for a while, and then COVID hit, and yeah. the economy ceased to grow as fast as it had been. And so, now the Democrats have resorted to that same old, tired, and ill-performing means of addressing uh, deficit spending, and that's to raise taxes. I know. It's, hey, it, is, it is just... So Senator, I, I got to interrupt you because I want to talk about one more thing, and we're coming up against a hard break. But you and Senator Gillibrand have introduced this bill about di- di- digital assets and blockchain industry. Explain that. I've only got a minute left, but explain what it does and why we need it. I don't know if she could hear me, but we. I wanted to talk about the uh, love. Yeah, I, okay, you're back now, and I, I heard you ask the question. It takes digital assets like cryptocurrencies and lays them over our traditional uh, means of regulating uh, traditional assets like stocks and bonds. So if a cryptocurrency looks more like a stock, it will be governed by the SEC. If a cryptocurrency looks more like a commodity, it will be governed by the Commodities Futures Trading Commission. It's a way to allow this new asset to innovate and the people that are creating uh, applications for this asset to innovate. But still, there is an understood uh, regulatory compliance that should protect consumers. That's the ultimate goal. So, so Senator... Go look. It's Senator Cynthia Lummis. If you want to learn more about that, go look online. You can hear more about it. Thank you to Senator Lummis for joining us. I'm Jason Chave. It's been an honor being with you. Stay with us. Talk to you tomorrow. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.